So I'm excited about today's episode. Yeah? Why is that? Well, we're going to cover something that's near and dear to me, our Green Bond Impact Report. What was that? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, All I said was Green Bond Impact. Dalton, what the heck? Are you doing something? No, wasn't me. Sounds like it happens every time you say the word impact. All right, let me try this again. Today, we're going to talk about our Green Bond program and our recently released report on the... Hey, I didn't even say the word. Our recently released report on the way that the program has benefited workforce housing and tenants around the country. And we'll also look ahead at potential future, wait for it, impact. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast. I'm Steve Guggenmoss. And I'm Corey Aber. And on the show today, we're going to talk about our Green Bond program, the Green Bond market, and our recently released Green Bond Impact Report. Oh, good. All right. So glad that sound effect isn't invading the actual content of the show. Um, and joining us today are our friends and colleagues, Amanda Nunning, VP of Investor Relations here at Freddie Mac, and Luba Kim Reynolds, who is the driving force behind our green bonds. So thank you both uh, for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Excited. <laughs> All right. So let's let's start at the beginning. Uh, what are we doing with the green bonds and why do we get into uh, why do we get into issuing them? Well, Corey, before we start talking about green, I think where all of this started for us was really um, with workforce housing. And before we talk about workforce housing, I think we probably need to define it because when I'm out talking to investors, that's one of the first questions they ask. So the way we think about it here at Freddie is we describe it in part by the tenants that live there. So these types of properties are affordable to renters with lower incomes teachers, firefighters, service workers, and they're properties that tend to be older buildings, um, often with limited amenities, and we see them in urban areas or near employment centers. And so so how does that uh, translate into our green bonds? Um, as Amanda mentioned, it's all started for us with workforce housing. Our mission is to support affordable housing. And as Debbie Jenkins, the head of our multifamily business, oftentimes says workforce housing is in our DNA. We always try to find new ways how to support our mission. With that in mind, Green Advantage Loan Program was born in 2016. The idea was that we would incentivize borrowers to make efficiency improvements, energy or water, and achieve savings will be passed on to the tenant. Beautiful externality was coming from this program as well, environmental impact. In the next few years, the program was evolving and we were increasing minimum efficiency threshold to make this program meaningful. It started with 15% minimum threshold and went all the way up to 30. Since 2016 for 2019, we have funded 59 billion of green loans. We have been securitizing these loans in our flagship case series. In fact, almost every K deal had 20 to 40% of green loans. But as the time was going by and more and more investors were searching for impact investments and specifically green bonds, we were getting feedback from the investors that they cannot fish those green loans out of K deals and need a separate green bond transaction that will have a green bond framework and will be done in accordance with green bond standards. 
it took us a little bit of time to create an all-green deal as we did not want just to pull some green loans together. We wanted to be really thoughtful to how we can highlight our mission of supporting affordable housing and make it an impactful deal. We decided to put together workforce housing, green advantage loans, because number one, it was supporting affordable workforce housing, and number two, that where the efficiency improvements are actually needed the most. As the housing stock is aging and it's becoming less and less efficient, efficient, making efficiency improvements at those properties will be the most impactful. In June 2019, we were in the market with our first green bond securization, KG deal. Very exciting time for us. Uh, so that is uh, great to hear about the history of the program and how it kind of brings together, you know, the core of what we do in terms of doing affordability, which certainly I think from the perspective of doing socially good is the, is the right thing. And then considers how we can, you know, bring green into it and create and then carefully create a securitization that uh, that puts the two together. I'm curious about how well that uh, was received in the market and maybe a little bit about the differences from a typical um, securitization. Uh, there are a few extra steps in order to make a green bond securitization. Most importantly, green bond issuer needs to adhere to some green bond standards. We chose green bond principles published by ICMA. First of all, we needed to put together a green bond framework describing how we are committed to this business and where the green, green bond proceeds will be going. Next step, we got a second party opinion from Cicero to evaluate our green bond framework and we got the light green rating. Last step, we were committing ourselves to issue impact report every year and be transparent where the green bond proceeds are going and showing the impact achieved for this financing. Other than that, the deal looks and feels as the typical K-series, and it's a beautiful our investors as they are purchasing very liquid agency paper. As far as your second question, the deal was received very well. When you think about it, there were probably three groups, types of investors who participated in the deal. First type are the investors who have green bond investment mandates for their portfolio. We saw five new investors coming into the deal who have not previously participated in our case series. Second time, investors who might not have strict guidelines yet that they need to invest in impact bonds, but they love positive impact story, environmental and social, and can highlight these investments in their portfolio. And the third type, our typical case series investors, because once again, it looks like our regular case series very liquid bonds, so they were all happy to jump in. Um, I would just add that I joined the capital markets team last summer and attended my first conference on the capital markets side. And at that conference, I would say that this topic, social impact, was a topic in about 30% of the meetings we attended. So we definitely have investors at that point who were asking and curious. And if you fast forward to this past January, it was a topic in 70 plus percent of the meetings we attended. So clearly the appetite and interest is growing in the field of impact finance. And are we seeing with that uh, growing interest also sort of some emerging standards uh, or you know, minimum degree of impact or something along those lines? Or, is, or are we still uh, sort of in the process of defining that? Corey, this is a great question. I do not think there is an easy answer to it. There are certainly standards out there. Europe is way ahead of us when it comes to various impact finance standards, but 
I do not want to say that we do not have any standards here in the United States. Actually, a beautiful thing is happening here in U.S. is that a lot of investors create their own internal standards and guidelines to what impact makes to them, environmental or social. It creates this momentum for our deals that combine environmental and social impact and also creates the momentum for the whole market where the issuers from different other structured products can take a closer look to their products and see if there is something impactful that they can create and bring to the market. And it sounds like with, uh, I mean, the, between um, what you said, Amanda, with just the incredible growing amount of interest and then like Luba, you're saying that the there. The, there's a kind of a lack of a overall standard, but people kind of creating it themselves. It seems like there's then if we can't wait on things, so we we consider how we can communicate uh, the the message of of these bonds and and our program through um uh, through different means. Um, this might be one of them, but uh, in addition to that, I think the green impact report is is useful for folks. Is that right? That's right. Impact report is very useful. I do want to add that the lack of standards is not necessarily true. There might be a lack of recipe of how people should be thinking what impact is, and everyone could be creating their own recipe. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. There are standards out there, as I mentioned, green bond principles, social bond principles, and others. Issuers do need to adhere to the chosen standards. They do need to be transparent where bond proceeds are going and how impactful those projects are. The issuer cannot just go into the market, call it a green bond, sell the bond, and be done with it and not report anything or stop reporting at some point. That's why there are standards. For us, when we issue bonds for all of our securization, we are very transparent and we are already following our industry KFC reporting standards. Impact report is an additional layer where we'll be reporting projected efficiency savings and impact achieved for that. Right. So Luba, what's special in our uh, green bond impact report? Maybe we can uh, walk through some of the sections. Corey, this impact report is very near and dear to my heart, and I do think it's special. Uh, When we were creating it, we did not want to just report out the numbers, but we wanted to tell the story, who we are, why it's important to us to put together the Green Deal like that, and also really dig into what impact comes out of environmental and social sides. So, Luba, let's let's break it down a little bit further. Uh, So, in the environmental section of the report, uh, I know there, there are a couple graphics that we put in there um, that I at least found particularly interesting. You're looking at drought areas, looking at different uh, power sources. So, tell us a little bit about that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, just a quick reminder about the program. We incentivize our borrowers to do a minimum of 30% energy or minimum of 30% water plus 15% energy efficiency improvements. When we report out projected energy savings, a very standard metric is to convert it into what CO2 emission reduction will be achieved. I do want to highlight the water side. People often forget that access to the clean water is actually a luxury in a lot of parts of the world and even United States. Water usage reduction is an important part of the impact story. What we did in the report, we mapped out our properties against a drought prone zones in the United States. What we found that 430 million of our green bond proceeds were financing the properties located in the areas experiencing drought, or it was abnormally high. 
47.2 million of gallons of water is projected to be saved for the water efficiency improvement in those areas per year. Once again, I do want to highlight the importance of the water savings as it's reduced the strain on the aging infrastructure. Also, getting the clean water to the houses adds to the CO2 emissions. If we're reducing water usage, we're also reducing CO2 emissions, although we're not reporting this metric out quite yet. Yeah, and you know, I, I like that point because you know, often when we think, uh, you know, just as a business, right, we're thinking, um, you know, one transaction at a time, right? So you think about the impact you're having on properties and on tenants uh, in those properties. But it seems like what you're saying is actually the impact is a little bit broader than that because any savings we uh, help to achieve uh, on the property also supports the overall community and that uh, community infrastructure. So how does that play out uh, on the energy side? So because I mean, certainly in the last you know, year plus, uh, there's been an increasing focus on energy impact. What are you seeing there? What we did on the energy side is we mapped it out our properties against carbon intense energy supply areas. Certain states use a different mix of energy sources, could be a clean energy or still could be fossil fuels. Therefore, there's a different carbon intensity in those areas. What we found is that 368 million of our green bond proceeds will be going towards financing the properties located in the areas of carbon intensity above national average. The properties that install energy improvements in these areas are projected to save 2,960 metric tons of CO2 annually, which is equivalent to 20 acres of U.S. forest preserved from conversion to cropland in one year. That's great information on the incredible different ways that you can look at the impact on the environmental side. Yeah, thanks, Steve. When we looked at the social impact side of the equation, I think there were a couple of themes that emerged. And it started with the tenant utility savings. So this universe of loans is projected to save tenants over $4 million. And that translates to about $218 a year for each tenant, which alleviates burdens elsewhere for them in terms of medical payments, et cetera. And then we look at, you know, back to that workforce housing side of the equation where, you know, in this population, we're solving for the missing middle. The program really utilized a guideline of 80% or less AMI in most markets. And that led to some incredible findings in terms of mixed income housing. Almost 30% of the properties we financed through our green bonds have units that are affordable, both to tenants at less than 50% of AMI, and then also in that same property to tenants that are above 80% of AMI. And Corey, I know mixed income housing is near and dear to your heart. I mean, do you want to share any insights on your thoughts about what that translates to? Yeah, we've looked a lot at at mixed income housing and its ability to uh, contribute to deconcentrating poverty and increasing opportunity for residents. Uh, So certainly being able to support that uh, through our green bond program and our green advantage loans uh, I, th- I think sort of uh, doubles the impact of, of mixed income housing by also adding that uh, you know, strong tenant utility savings component. And then the last theme that emerged was looking at high opportunity areas, which provide economic opportunity and economic mobility for residents. And they're often found in high cost areas. So when you look at these green bond proceeds, 
49% of the properties we financed were located within a quarter mile walk to transit. 71% were in a half mile walk to transit and 82% were within a one mile walk to public transportation, which is an incredible outcome for these tenants. And I would think probably increases the uh, uh, environmental impact as well because you're reducing the burden on uh, you know, individual uh, transportation by using more public. Exactly. So the this is really uh, fantastic to, just to think about the impacts, um, as we say, all the, getting down all the way to the borrower, which um, in multifamily were, were you know, one component removed, but always have an eye on. And, uh, and so I think that's fantastic. And then on the environment as well, um, it's been a lot of great things that have led to the, what our offerings are today. Um, what are we looking forward to in the future? So we rolled out our green loan program in 2016. And what we found when we rolled it out in talking to our borrowers, many of them, many of them were already committed to this cause already. We have borrowers that were making green improvements. We have borrowers that were making strides in social impact and affordability. And so we realized if our borrowers are already doing this, we need to continue to support that and to find other ways to support that. And on the flip side, we've learned over the past year that our investors are looking for this and we are working to educate them on what we're doing. That's one of the goals of the impact report so that we can point to specific outcomes that we're achieving through this effort. I do want to add that with our KG series, we created something amazing. Anyone who is part of this transaction benefits from it. On one side, as I mentioned, borrowers benefit from green loan financing. They are projected to save about $103 per unit per year. They are also creating a competitive advantage for their property, making it more attractive to their tenants. Secondly, tenants are saving $218 per unit per year, which is a meaningful for those missing middle workforce housing tenants. Number three, environment benefits. Number four, investors benefit as they can satisfy those impact mandates for their portfolio while investing in liquid agency guaranteed bonds. And lastly, Freddie Mac benefits as we are highlighting our mission and a new way for us to support the affordability. When thinking about the future, we are trying to think how we can take it further on the social impact side. KG Series benefits workforce housing, missing middle tenants, but we also do a lot of loans in more affordable space. What we want to do is to look closer to those properties and see if some of them are mixed income properties, or maybe they're located in high opportunity zones while being affordable to low income tenants. Financing of these type of properties is very important as it contributes to building sustainable communities and provide various social opportunities and benefits to those tenants. We're in the lab right now to create this type of deal, and I think it's going to fit very well in our impact offerings and take it further in supported affordable housing. So Luba, thank you so much, uh, and, and Amanda as well. It sounds like there's a there's a lot to do leaning into the social side uh, going forward, and certainly really excited to uh, see what you come up with uh, on the uh, capital market side to support that and to further it. So thank you both uh, for being on the show today and looking forward to having you back. Thanks, Corey and Steve. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast. If you'd like to learn more, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.